Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, and then verses 21 through 24. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon or servant of the church in Sancreia. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother for me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Go down to verse 21. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. And most translations have this next verse, which says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen. A lot of names, which I'm probably mispronouncing too, but a lot of names, some with descriptions. And it seems like a mundane set of verses. Just greet this person, greet that person, you know, thank this person, commend this person. And some have suggested, some scholars and others have suggested that this section was not really necessary to be included in the Bible. Paul's letter to the Romans could have ended with Romans chapter 15. In fact, as you read it and as you come to the end of chapter 15, it looks like a very logical place to end the book. But I suggest to you that names are an important part of the Bible and that God has just as much for us to learn from these mundane verses as we do from the rest of his word to us. So let's pay attention to what the Lord would speak to us. Now, in our context, we don't pay a lot of attention to the meaning of names. 
But names in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, had significant meanings. And one of the most striking examples of this is when God himself changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of nations, and he does that as a prophetic declaration of what was to come. Abraham didn't even have a child. And he says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, father of nations, father of many nations. And it is a reminder of the promises of God for Abraham and through Abraham for the whole world. So God is involved in the naming business. Right? And so we see this, and we see the significance of names. Other names, including the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is, or the word itself means salvation. The word itself communicates what Jesus' purpose was. There was a significance. It wasn't just a random name. It wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't just that it sounded good. It, was, it had a meaning. And so when he was named, you know, when the angel says to Mary, you will name him Yeshua, because he will bring light to his people, because he will be the hope for his generation, for his people. He is the one that the Lord has promised. His name is salvation. Right? So we, we have these names that are in the Bible that are wonderfully meaningful and fascinating. And we lose a lot of the significance of names as they are transliterated. They're not typically translated. We don't see the name of a person and then the meaning of the name in the English version. We see it transliterated. It gives us the same sound of their name, but we don't know the meaning. And many times, the names are even modified into the English language or in other languages of versions of Bibles that we have. So we've lost some of that context. We've lost some of that meaning. So I, I you know, and if you have opportunity to, go look up some of these things. You'll be, it's fascinating to see some of the names of the people in the Old Testament and the generation or the time that they lived in and what those names indicated, including the fact that Methuselah, his name said, and then the end will come, and it was just as he dies right before the flood. And the name of Noah means comfort. And you know, there are all these meanings and things that the, that the Bible uh, presents to us. This morning, I'm not addressing the topic of the meaning of names. I'm not going into that. I'm just giving you a little sort of teaser and saying, investigate this. Look at this. This is wonderful. This is great. But instead, I want to draw our attention to the messages that are communicated to us through the listing of names in the Bible. And you'll find all sorts of passages where there are just a list of names. And in Chronicles and Numbers, it's just name after name after name. And you go, oh my gosh, uh, is th this is what's in my daily reading today. This is what's in my, how do I get through this passage? But before you despair of saying, I don't know what to make of this, let me tell you that there are some truths, there are some lessons for us to learn from these lists of names. And the first lesson is this, these are real people. When you read the genealogies and lists of names throughout the Bible, one of the most important truths they convey is that you are reading the lives of real people. The accompanying details of the person's line of descent, where they lived, when they lived, what happened to them. These are real stories that could be verified. And these are all speaking to the reliability and to the eyewitness account nature of the Bible. The Bible is not just making something up. 
The Bible's saying, here is this person who was born in this place, born to these set of parents, and he lived in this way, and this is what happened to him. So that it makes it very real for us. These are real people. Now, if you grew up, at least initially, learning about Bible characters from a children's Bible with its colorful illustrations, and then you never really learned much about these people. You learned these Bible stories, right? It was the convenient way to learn the Bible, and we quiz our children with these Bible stories. And maybe that was the way that you, you know, many people in the world, by the way, have gotten that kind of an introduction to the Bible. They know some of these stories, right? They've seen some pictures, you know, or the flannel graphs and all that. But, you know, and, and so, but, but you never went further. Let's say that that was your case. You just never went further to understand who these characters were, were. And so what happens? You think of Moses, Joseph, and Samson, just as you would think of Zeus and Apollo and Hercules. right? Or maybe for the 21st century child, these biblical characters are no different than Clark Kent, Peter Parker, and Bruce Wayne. For those of you who don't know, who are not into comics or superhero movies, that's Superman, Spider-Man, and Batman, right? And what happens? The characters in the Bible, they're just like them. Fascinating, imaginative stories, but nothing more than fanciful creations of human culture. That's how people will think about it. They're just made up. They're just imagining. But the Bible is not a fairy tale. The Bible is not telling us about some myth once upon a time, long, long time ago, in a land far away. It says, no, in this period of time, in this place, born to this parent, is this person whom God used and God built and God gave. And this is a real person. This is a real story. It's full of real stories of real people struggling with real problems committing real sins, finding real redemption, and achieving real victories. You know, and in addition to that, if you, if you think about the Bible as, okay, it's not a myth, but maybe it's just a series of philosophical teachings. It's a good book. It teaches us moral and ethical behavior. If the Bible was just a philosophical treatise with teachings and general directives by which to live our lives, but it didn't have these names and personal stories, we may find it useful, but we wouldn't find it personal. And if the Bible were a how-to manual on avoiding sin and living holy lives, and again with no names or personal stories, this is what you do when you encounter this kind of sin, this is what you don't do when you encounter this kind of situation. And if it was just a how-to manual for us, Without these stories, without these real people, we may find it, again, as generally useful as any other manual. Your washing machine, you know, the manual for your washing machine, you looked at it maybe once, maybe never, right? And now you have no idea where it is. And when you want to fix something, you don't really think that it's, and maybe there is something in that manual that applies to your situation, but many times there won't be, because it's just a general manual. And it's somewhere. You don't even know where. But if we treated the Bible as a manual and said, oh, it tells me how to live a holy life, how to avoid sin, how to do all of that, and it gave no names, no personal stories, again, 
it would not be relevant for our specific situation, for our specific context, for the problem that you're going through right now, for the care that's on your mind. The Bible wouldn't apply. But the Bible, the Bible is living and active. It is the word of God that applies in every single area. It says it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It doesn't leave anything out. It doesn't say for these areas of your life, we've got it covered, but these areas of your life, go find somebody else. No, it says every area of your life, all that you need for life and godliness, it's there. You just have to dig into it. And so we benefit from reading these names and looking at these stories and saying, oh, Instead of relying on some other person's imagination, I benefit from reading that a former prostitute, Rahab, a Moabite woman, a Moabite widow, Moabites hated the Israelites. They were opposed to Yahweh and the God of Israel. A Moabite widow, Ruth, and an adulteress, Bathsheba, were all incorporated into the genealogy of Jesus. And we benefit from reading about that. We benefit from saying, oh, this is what God is doing. We understand how the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made their way to Moses, who writes this down, who writes those books. He, we understand how it made its way to Moses through the lineage of the tribe of Levi that Moses was part of. And we read these names, we look at these children's names, and we look at the, you know, the generations, and we say, oh, I see what God is doing. We appreciate the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace of God as we read these names. We learn of the faithfulness of God as we read these names. We see that the plan of God for all humanity, for all eternity, is traced through the generations. So we pay attention to these real stories. And as we go through Paul's epistles, he names both Jews and Gentiles, deacons, hardworking co-laborers, fellow apostles, leaders of house churches, people from different socioeconomic classes, freed slaves or even current slaves who are in the households of governing officials. And of particular note this weekend, he notes mothers and grandmothers who taught their children and toiled in the background without anyone noticing them until we read about them in these lists. We can relate to these people that are named. We are just like them. These are real people. There's one additional point, an important point to note about these real people, these people that are there in Paul's list here in Romans 16. There are many women in leadership and service. Many women that are named specifically in leadership and service. As Douglas Moo points out in his commentary, of the almost 30 Christians Paul greets or commends in these verses, more than a third, about nine or ten, it's a little difficult to determine whether some name was a man or a woman. Sometimes the gender is not very clear with just the name and the translation and everything else. But at least a third of this list are women. Women were a significant part of the early church and the leadership of the early church. The description of Phoebe as a deacon or deaconess 
and benefactor of the church meant that she was in a leadership role and that she was supporting Paul and other church members financially in a very significant way. She had, either she was running a business or doing something else, or she had wealth that was acquired, but she was funding a lot of stuff and a lot of people. So these were women that were very involved in the church and in the working of the, the church itself and the, and the functioning of the church. The Bible is making it clear that women were understood to have the same access to God as the men. They had the same ability to hear from and be used by God as men were. And women were engaged in the difficult and frontline ministry. They weren't in the background somewhere, just cooking and cleaning so that the missionaries can go do their job. No, no. They were out on the front too. They were doing all sorts of stuff right in the front lines to make that impact. They were not second-class citizens in the church, even at a time when they were not recognized as equal to men in the rest of society. Greek, Roman, Jewish, all of the cultures, all of those times, and the society that was around them was not saying women are equal. But the church was doing that. The church was saying that the church was practicing that, the church was giving opportunity that, and women were involved in that way. And so what is that? Why is that? It's not an accident that all these women are listed by name. Right? He could have just said, you know, John and Mark and, and all the rest of the women. He's listing them by name. He's going through them because they're meant to inspire and encourage women in the church today to be just as active, to be seeing themselves as just as valuable, just as necessary in the functioning of the church. Right? Now, we can debate roles and responsibilities. And when we get into First and Second Corinthians, we will get into some of those debates, where and position and everything else. But the unavoidable truth that the Bible presents is this, that both men and women are equally valued and essential in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is collectively even the bride of Christ. And so women play a significant role in helping us to understand that reality, that identity of the body of Christ. So this is a very important point and one that we must keep in mind even as we have, so we have this as context even as we look at other portions of scripture. Now, this brings us to the final point I want to make. And this is not directly stated, this point is not directly stated in these verses. But as you will see, they can be inferred from the verses. And that point is this. There are many more names to add to the list. And what I mean by that is this, or let me explain a little bit more. In Philippians chapter 4, in a very similar reference to what we read here in Romans 16, Paul tells the believers in Philippi to help the women, Euodia and Syntyche, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. 
So he's talking about the fact that these two women are having some disagreement and there's stuff that they need to work out. But he says to the people, the believers in Philippi, please assist them because they, have, they are co-laborers with me. They have been involved in ministry. They're doing these things for the glory of God and the cause of the gospel along with Clement and others and so on. And these are all people whose names are in the book of life. Now, if we read in Luke chapter 10, we read this when we were studying the book of Luke, that when Jesus sent the disciples out as laborers in the harvest field to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, the, the disciples returned with a good report that even the demons submit to us in your, in, in Jesus' name. So the Jesus sends out the disciples, they go and they minister to others, they're doing all of these things, they come back, they're so excited, and they say to Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus says to them, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Signs, wonders, manifestations, the very proof of the kingdom of God are wonderful. And we tend to sort of focus on them. But Jesus says, and it's not that you don't, don't have joy when a demon is cast out or that you oppose a demon. But Jesus is saying, let not that be your priority. Let your priority be that your name is written in heaven. So what does he mean? Where are these names written? What, what kind of ink does God use? Right? Psalm 69 Daniel chapter 12, Revelation 13, and other scriptures make it clear that at the coming of the Lord, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus, those whose names are written in the book of life of the Lamb of God will be united with Jesus for all eternity. There's a list of names that God maintains. There's a list of names that God maintains. Now, what, the Bible also hints at this or makes reference to this, that it may not be exactly the name that we think of. So I'm not sure that my name written in heaven is Philip Thomas. I don't know, right? Because the Bible also speaks about the Lord having a new name for us, similar to what God did with Abraham and said, your name is Abraham. Our, our parents named us whatever they thought of. But God has a name for us. And I want to encourage you that the point here is not about the specific string of letters. The word, the name Philip means lover of horses. I, it has no real meaning to it, right? Um, no significance of the name. But God has a name. God has some way to identify me. And God has some way to say here, Line number 30, no, 35,900, this name, this person, right? And when God has that name written there, the Bible indicates that this list of names is so important before God that Moses refers to it when he's pleading for the people. In Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32, after the children of Israel have sinned grievously before God by worshiping the golden calf, they have rejected Yahweh, they are turning back to the idols of 
the idols of Egypt, and they have made the golden calf, they have worshipped before it, Moses comes, there's this whole chaos in the camp and everything else, and Moses says to God, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. What is Moses saying? I know you have their names in the book of life. As they sin and do these things, don't blot them out. Take me or let me be a substitute. Let me stand in the gap for them. Don't blot them out. Even if you blot my name out, please forgive them. God says, the Lord replies in verse 33, Exodus 32, 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Meaning it's his judgment to make and his choice and the substitution for them is not to be provided through Moses. It was to come through the Lamb of God in the later time. So God makes that very clear. But Paul makes a very similar statement to what Moses did when we read in Romans chapter 9. Paul writes, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people those of my own race, the people of Israel. What's he saying? If it were possible for my name to be removed from the book of life so that their names could be entered in, Lord, I would be willing even for that to happen. That's how much I care about these people. We, we, for us, at best, we would say, in addition to my name being in the book of life, let those names also be there. He says, even if my name is not there, please, Lord, let these folks be there. That's what Moses is saying. So this is the importance that they had. This is the, the, the sense that they had that God cared about individuals. God cared about the people. God cared that these are the people that, they, that, that were to be with him for eternity and that he had this list of names. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, all the way in back in the Old Testament there, and then in other scriptures, but then coming into the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we've looked at some of these scriptures before, but amongst other scriptures, these scriptures make it clear that the Lord desires that no one should perish and that all people would repent, be saved, and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's desire for people in the world. He's not saying, I just have a select few. He says, I want all people to be saved. I desire for all people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I desire for all people to come to the knowledge of the truth, which means that the Lord's desire is for many more names to be added in the book of life. He is not saying, I have a limitation on the number of lines in this book. I only have 10 pages. When I run out of 10 pages, we're done. He says, I desire for all of humanity to be saved. And I desire for their name to be listed here in this book of life. I desire for them to be in the same, to be dealt with in the same way as all these others that have gone on before you. All these generations, all these genealogies, all these legacies that we have. We would say, oh, I can join with 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I can join with Moses and Joshua and all of these mighty men of faith. I can join with Paul and with Peter and James. I can join with them to be listed with them in the book of life. And God desires for so many more. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, uncles, aunts, cousins, nieces, friends, colleagues, neighbors, strangers. He's desiring for them to be in the book of life. He's saying, I want their names in there too. Last week I reminded us that our responsibility in doing what we do to minister to others is to reach the unreached, those who don't know Jesus, and to reach or to and to minister to those that are unchurched, those who are not in active fellowship in the body of Christ. Because it's not sufficient to simply know about Jesus. It is necessary for us to mature as disciples of Christ. And that happens in the fellowship of the body of Christ. That happens in the union that we have with one another, to stand with one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to, to lift up the names of each other before the Lord. And so when we do that, when we are reaching out that way to people around us, the unreached, the unchurched, our call to action last week was to pray and to ask the Lord, how, when, and where should we reach out to others? And then, as the Lord shows us that, that we would act on what the Lord directs us to do. We would say, Lord, this is, this is who you want me to reach out to. This is what you want me to do. Okay, I'm, I, I step out in faith. I take that action. I don't know what the result will be. But I'm not concerned about the result or the outcome. I'm concerned about obeying you. And I step out. I do this. I take this step of faith as the Lord directs. And as we do that, our goal is not that the names of the unreached and unchurched are added to the membership list of this church. Our goal is that the names of the unreached and the unchurched are entered in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life. We want to see them before God. And as they do that, and as we encourage them to fellowship in the body of Christ, they may join another local church. Wonderful. Praise God for that. Let them do so. Let them go where the Lord leads them. But we want them to be in the book of life. That's our goal. That's our prayer. That's our cry. And so when we, who are in the family of God, will desire for others to be joined into the family of God, it's only because there are a whole lot more names that need to be added to the list. Which brings us to our point of application that we have to respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by praying and acting to extend the list of names. God has chosen to have us be co-laborers, to be laborers in the harvest field who will impact, who will affect the extension of the list of names in the book of life. That's what God has chosen for us. He doesn't say, I will supernaturally bring a new name in. Right? This is not magic. He's saying to us, I want you to go. That, you know, the very passage that I was referring to in Luke 10, when Jesus sends the disciples out, what does he say to them? 
The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of harvest, of the harvest. But now, go. And he sends them out to declare, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. At that point in time, he hadn't even died. And you know, there wasn't even the perfect remission of sins. But he was sending them out with the message to say, the kingdom of God is here. God has fulfilled these promises that he made through these lists of names of generations of people. And now the, the Messiah is here. And if you will receive him, if you will accept him, if you will know that he is the one that is your Lord and Savior, you have the remission of sins. You have eternity before you. Your name will be written in the book of life. That was the message. That's the same message for us. So he sends us out. He says, the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. Go. Tell somebody. Pray. Be equipped. Get ready. Tell someone. Tell someone that this is how they can come to the Lord. So we need to continue to seek the Lord for our outreach. We need to act. And we will see that list of names in the book of life growing. And I want to encourage you that you would encourage others directly. That's what Paul does. In all these letters, why does he have this list of names? Because he wants to encourage people directly. You know, he's going through this name after name, and Phoebe, and Aristarchus. I mean, he's just listing these names. Why? Because he says, I want to encourage you. I want, to, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that other believers are praying for you, your brothers and sisters, because when I mention your name, they don't even know who you are, but they're going to start praying for you too. And so he's encouraging others directly. He's commending brothers and sisters to other brothers and sisters. He's saying, look, look this, is, this person is notable amongst the apostles. And by the way, we'll, we can talk more about that on Wednesday. But, you know, that, that phrase that is used there. But this person is notable among the apostles. And I'm commending you to, the, to this person to you. What, what does that do for us? We're encouraged by that. We are seeing in that person an example that we can follow. We're saying, we reach out to that person, oh, you know, and Paul let me know that you're helping him and that you're assisting and you're giving. Thank you so much. And it helps us to connect with that person too. And it also is an opportunity for us to encourage one another that way. That we would go back, I heard that you did this. Thank you. Please keep going in that. Keep doing that. The kingdom of God is benefiting from what you're doing, from your time in prayer, from your actions, from your giving, from your service. Praise God for it. That's why on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, I, 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 I long to say thank you to people because I, I say, you know, you are making a difference. You're making a difference. Keep going. Keep doing it. Keep pushing in. Keep persevering in this. And then, you know, sometimes, and when I say this, and when I talk about this, and again, as we saw in this example, and as you see in many of the examples in the Word of God, sometimes it's just a name. It's just a, a, a listing of a name, right? And sometimes, like, like I said, the names may not, even the meanings of the names may not be very good. You know, when Rachel was, was dying as she was giving birth, she named her son, son of my pain. And Jacob changed the name to son of my right hand because he said, ah, I don't want the name to be son of my pain. And so we, you know, so some of these names that we would see in here are not even the, 
the way that we would be inspired by the name. But what does it do for us? As we read these lists of names, we say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Every Wednesday night here on our prayer meeting, we just have a list of names of everybody that says, I identify myself as a member of New Life Fellowship Church. And we put the names up and we pray. And some weeks, we're simply praying the name with nothing more. We say, God bless John. And there may be nothing more. Another time it may be, God bless John and he has requested prayer for this and he is in need of this and you know, he has made us aware of that and Lord we call out to you for that and we may pray very specifically for it but sometimes we're just mentioning a name. And even that, even in doing that, as we list these names, we're saying, God, I bring them before you. I thank you that you care about these names that you have a list, and that, Lord, even as we just mention them, we, every week we just bring them before you and we pray for them and we do this. And then somebody puts in a prayer request and we say, oh, we pray for this additional person. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that we can call out to you on behalf of these people and you hear and answer. So we want to keep going. We want to reach out to people. We want to Know them by name. And personally even, I have trouble remembering names. I can remember faces better than names. The point is not that you would be perfect about all of that. Perfect recall about names. But the condition of your heart. The compassion that would be there. The care that you would say, God cares about this person. God cares about this, this name. God wants them in his book of life. And so I reach out to them. I love them. I pray for them. I honor them. And I will share with them how they too can come into this fellowship with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, you do maintain a list of names. And it's not about exclusion. It's about inclusion. You have no partiality, no favoritism, no criteria for us about how we can enter in there. No benefits that we would have that, that let us be added to that list. Just one simple thing. That, Lord, by believing what you have done, by accepting what you have provided, by receiving into, your, into our lives, you yourself, as the Holy Spirit, you allow us to be written into the book of life. And I thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Lord, that we, as we share with others, Lord, our heart's desire is to mirror your heart's desire that their names will also be written in the book of life. Grant grace for that, Lord. Let your power be manifest, Lord. Let us in these coming days see many more names listed in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.